Praise God. It's been good to worship with you. We're doing church, as Jordan said. Isn't that fun? Amen. Praise God. I'm excited to be here with you this morning, and uh, I need you to be with me today, okay? Can, you, can we have an agreement right up front? We're going to do this together, right? Amen. You guys are talkative. We got some hard teaching this morning. Some, Paul's coming. He's coming pretty hard at the church, and we're going to do it together because because that's what we do. We're God's people. We are in this together. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are in need of your grace and mercy today. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would search our lives and that you would bring us in line with your truth that is being declared today. Father, we need you. We love you. And we want to live for you. We want to be the church We want to be the people that are called out, called by your name, doing the things of God and for your, of God and for God, so that people may see you high and lifted up. God, we pray that your name is glorified today as we teach through the scriptures. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is called the epistle of today. We could take this teaching, walk into any church, and as if it was written today, and just give it out to the congregation. It's that, it's that powerful. Pastor Rick over the last few weeks has been teaching us as the church we are, our new address now is where? In Christ. Let's say that with some boldness. We're in Christ. Well, good. That's halfway there with a little bit. Today, Paul give us, gives careful instruction and teaching to the Christian church in the midst of moral decline. Paul's got this church in the midst of, of things that are going on, and it's hard, and he's calling them to be different, to be the people of God, to live lives that are different. And today's passage comes hard at the follower. I was reading through this this week, and it just every time I go to this passage, it hurts me just to think, because I see myself here. We're going to see, this is the, I would like to refer to this as the mirror passage. It's like looking in a mirror. We're going to take a careful look at our lives. Does your life reflect a regenerated heart and a progression in sanctification, or does it reflect worldly conduct? Paul draws a clear line in the sand. There are those in Christ, and there are those that are in the world. In fact, this unit is one of the lengthiest New Testament treatments of separation from the world. God calls us to be different. God has called us out of darkness and into light. Jesus is the light of the world. We are now in him, and God calls us to be different. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, 1 through 14 this morning. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to that? We're going to read. The Word of God. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of God. As we begin this morning, we got to start right off the bat, right off the number one, we have to start at God is the standard for us. As God's people, God needs, God has to be the standard. We do not look at the culture, we do not look at the world, we do not look at the things around us, we look at God. God sets it out for us. Let us be clear about this today. We are to be imitators of God. Imitators of God. God's covenant people take their character from him. We see this in Leviticus 19. It's one of the clearest expressions of the standard of God expects from his people. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. At least 14 times in this passage, in this chapter, a command to Israel is followed up by the words, I am the Lord, to show the ethical action is determined by God's character. God is the standard for us. We find out who God is through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's covenant people in all their comings and goings, their business and play, their church on Sunday and in community through the week needs to reflect the character of God. God is the standard. The Apostle Paul, Pastor Rick, and me here today, we're all saying the same thing, that we as the church of God, we need to get our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's where we look. We look to the cross. 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen says, Now set your heart and your soul to, to seek the Lord. Set your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. Charles Spurgeon said this of this of exhortation, you have already found the Lord, talking to those who are inside the church, those who are followers, those who have, have the imputed righteousness of Christ. He says, you have already found the Lord. There is a sense in which you have not to seek him. For you have already know him, but in another sense, you're still, still to seek him out. For seeking the Lord is a description of the whole of the believer's life. After he has found God at his salvation, he has to seek him as friend, as sanctifier, and as example. Until they come to that glorious perfection in Christ, Christian men and women women have something still to seek. You say to me, Pastor, Jesus is my Savior, and I say to that, is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Are you following after the, the Lord? Are you seeking him out with everything that you do? Because God has got to be the standard. Covenant people will, I listed a few things taken from the passage, they'll look like this inside the church. When you see covenant people, those who have a relationship with God, they will live a life of love. They will love their neighbors. They will love God with all their hearts. They'll love their neighbors and they'll go out of the way to serve others. It's a great way to recognize other believers is by their service. Sometimes before they even say, I'm a Christian, we can tell if they love God by the way they live their lives, and they're living it through a life of love. They avoid empty words. 
So many of us inside the church, we get into so many talks, so many discussions, so many things that don't bring glory and honor to God. We avoid empty words. We do not partner with those who love to sin. The Christian church, we don't gather together with people who are sinning and smile and say, it's okay. Sometimes, even with our lack of action or our lack of words, we join in with the sin. We see this with our first parent, Adam, who stood by as Eve bit into the fruit. He was guilty of sin, of omission, because he didn't say a thing. And sometimes we as the Christian church can, because we don't say anything and we, we, we just be quiet when things are going on, people who are with us can look at us and say, well, it must be okay. It must be okay for their God because they're not saying anything. So we do not partner with those who love sin. Covenant people are righteous and holy because of God. We've been called out of darkness and into light. Pastor Rick has been teaching us that we are in Christ. That's our new address. We have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Christ lived a holy and perfect life and then gave that to us and took our sin. So be holy. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. This needs to be a mark, a hallmark of the Christian church, that we are kind to each other in the body, that we're loving each other, that we're moving towards righteousness in Christ, forgiving each other when others do wrong to us. Please note this. This would be something you would write down. This would be something, if you're a crocheter, crochet this. When there is a clear absence of biblical leadership, biblical instruction, and biblical application, the people to turn to their own standard of living. They turn to their own standard of living. If you're not submitting yourself to biblical leadership, you're not submitting yourself to the word of God, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're going to turn and live by your own standard, or you're going to take someone else's standard, you're going to take a culture standard, you're going to take a world standard. The Apostle Paul cares so much for his little church in Ephesus. His teaching was hard for them, and it will be hard for us today as we look at it. Nobody wants to talk about the things that we're going to talk about today. We just kind of like to glance over this passage and smile. But we have to get into it. We have to talk about it. We have to have a dialogue about it. His teaching was hard. Paul did not shy away from it, and either are we. We're going to be talking about what is required of God's people. It says, but among you there, not, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be an obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There are six areas of sin which lead to the broad road of destruction and by far are the top destroyers, as we will look at, of marriages, families, community, church pastors' callings. These are the top six that are destroying most of the church. We're going to break it down. Paul says, there must not even be a hint 
A few months ago, I woke up Saturday night getting ready for church the next day. I woke up in the middle of the night. I could not move. I had so much pain in my back. I made my way to the bathroom, and I found that there was blood there. I waited till 7 o'clock so I could text Jordan. Jordan says, go to the hospital. I get to the hospital. I tell them what's going on, and they don't just diagnose me. They put me in through an X-ray, for an X-ray. I get in this, this big machine. I'm going through, and they're X-raying my body to see what is the breakdown. They're trying to see what's going on on the inside. What is causing all of this stuff to happen? What is causing me to bleed and to have pain in my back? And the result was I had kidney stones. That's not good. I don't like kidney stones. They're of the devil. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> They're of the devil. Get behind me, Satan, with your kidney stones. But I had to go through an x-ray to see what was really going on, what was the breakdown in my body, what was causing the obstruction for me to be healthy. So today I thought it would be important that we would do an x-ray. So I printed this out. It's almost about my size. <laughs> I said, Dave, make it big. They need to see it. But Paul goes on and he says, not even a hint. What are we hinting about? Well, the first thing that we find in the scripture is sexual immorality. So I'm going to put that up here. No. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and says, there, not, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality in your congregation, in you, because it's not good for the people of God. Porneia, this is porn. This is going after, seeking out, looking at, fantasizing, and acting out on the lust of the flesh. This, right here, has the biggest grip on the church of today. And Satan loves it. I told Pastor Kelvin on the weekend, in my region of ministry, of young adult ministry, I want to be a theologian. I want to study God's word. I want to be able to know theology and be able to preach it. And by default, I, be, I am becoming an expert in sex. I have to talk about sex all day long, every day, because it has such a grip on the generation coming up. From youth, young adult, all the way up, it does not stop just in that genre. It keeps going. The statistics are staggering inside the church for both men and women when it comes to this area. And every time we talk, everybody gets real quiet and they put their head down. Let's have a conversation today, guys. This is important. This is destroying families in our church. This is destroying marriages. This is destroying our children as they're growing up. And Pastor Rick has preached a phenomenal sermon. And if you haven't heard about it, it's on our website. You go back, you listen to it, and you get some of that stuff that's going on that he is helping us to protect our families with into your life. But the statistics are staggering inside the church for both men and women when it comes to this area. The research is proving that pornography rewires the brain and makes it even harder to have intercourse. It's changing us from the inside out. What we watch, what we think about, what we fantasize about. It's rewiring our whole makeup. It's changing us. Biblically, the word parnea is a broad word covering any sexual sin. It can also refer to incest, 1 Corinthians 5.1, promiscuity, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, also sexual relations with a prostitute, 1 Corinthians 6.13, or illicit sexual relations, John 8.41. And Paul is coming against his church saying, guys, there can't even be a hint of this. And many of us look at this and say, what? I got heaps of this. A hint? 
In Paul's day of an age, his church, they could walk outside their church meeting and go down the street, and there was the temple of Diana where prostitution was happening. At any time, they had access to this. And Paul is calling for reform, to be different, to be a change in the community so when people look at the people of God, they see something different. He says, not even a hint. The second thing as we go through the scriptures and see is that Paul is saying that there has to be no impurity in the church. No impurity in the church. In the people of God, there shouldn't be any impurity. I love this word. This is a good word. It means any kind of sexual sin, even the kind that, ha- that can be added. This is the junk drawer to sex. In my kitchen, I have a junk drawer. It's a, I put all the stuff in there where I don't have a place for, or I, some of the stuff I don't even know what to do with it. Like, I don't even want, like, a pineapple cutter. What, I almost cut my hand off with that. That goes in that drawer. This is the impurity. Paul was, Paul was really thinking about the generations to come. He really knew the flesh. Paul talked about the flesh a lot in his own life and in the people of God. He really knew that people make up things. They, in the future, and as we see today, there are people who just make up different names for sexual acts, sexual relations, and then they, they say, it's not in the Bible, so it must be okay means any kind of sexual sin, even the kind being added, the junk drawer in the kitchen is what I would call this. So even right now, anything that is falling short of the glory of God that he has lined out in the Bible, that's what he's talking about. And I believe my kids, kids, kids will have different things that I haven't even heard of. Even in the last couple weeks, I'm learning of things that I haven't even heard of. It scares me when we're talking with people. Impurity. It has, not, it has no place in the body with Christ. Not even a hint. Paul goes on to continue to tell his church that there should not even be any greed in there. Greed. I'm going to put the greed down here by the hand, but this doesn't necessarily mean that it's money. Okay? Greed is an, is an added sin to the list, which can include sexual lust, but can refer to any kind of drive to have more. It's going on. You're not satisfied with what you got. It's seeking to the next level to, for enjoyment or satisfaction. It's often referred to as idolatry. This is when desire takes the place of God, for it rather than he determines life. We see this a lot. We see this in marriages where we're not satisfied and we continue to to go after more. We go outside the biblical mandate of marriage to satisfy things. Many men and women that we talk to share broken stories and heartache with. They talk about this. Most of them come back and say, like, it's, it's not satisfying. I thought if I go outside, I would be satisfied, but I was not. Paul knew this of the church, and he said, guys, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Submit your heart and soul to him and go after him, because anything outside of that, it's going to leave you wanting. You're going to put something else in place of God, and you're going to fall short of his glory. And we do fall short of his glory. The first three things talking about sin, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, of our, our sexual in nature. Paul does not stop there. Because many of us say, I'm not even struggling with any of these things. Paul knew his church. He goes on to sins of the tongue. He gives us three more things in this list that we need to be aware of as people of God, as people inside the church, as people who claim the name of Jesus, as people who walk into our community and say, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. 
We need to be aware of these things. The next one, obscenity. This would be shameful, vulgar language, foul language, and inappropriate slang language. This would also be language that we would text. This is anything that would, that would come out of your mouth that would break down or take away from the glory of God. This should not be inside the church. People outside looking at us, our lives are not different. We talk like them, we, we live like them. The Word of God says we've been brought in out of the darkness and into the light. This is hard for me. This is a hard one for me. When I came to know the Lord, I was 21 years old. I submitted myself to Christ, or Christ called me. I, I didn't do anything. It was all Jesus. And uh, I became a youth leader real quick. And uh, this was me. I even had youth leaders that would tally up how many swear words I would say in front of the youth. It was not good. I hated that part of my life. But it took some time to learn. This would be shameful, vulgar language, foul language, or any, any inappropriate slang way, language. And it's not good for the people of God. It's not, people, it's not good for us to have this inside the church. Paul goes on to say foolish talk. Foolish talk is next. Foolish talk. Speak that is void of understanding. There is no profit from it. It does not build up. It does not help. It does not encourage. Many of us in today's day and age get caught in this foolish talk area. We spend so much time wasting on social networking and talking about things that don't even matter. They don't build up people. They don't help people. They don't encourage people. We'd rather talk about the, the newest thing that is out on our social media feeds rather than praying for people. This also, the foolish talk the, the speech that is void of understanding or getting into things that do not build up the, the church also has a deep impact on marriages. We spend more time looking at screens instead of looking at each other, praying for each other, helping each other, teaching our children, thinking that someone else will do it for us. And the result is kids are growing up and leaving the church. Kids are growing up and leaving and walking away from the truth that is taught to them. Foolish talk. Let's not join in on it. Coarse joking. The last one of the, the, the six that Paul is instructing to us is coarse joking. And this is, this is a big one. This is a big one. God, Paul is not saying that we can't be funny. Paul is not saying that we can't enjoy ourselves. Paul is not saying that we cannot laugh. But what he is saying, that obscene stories, sexual stories, and misappropriate humor, there's no place for it inside the church. Now, Paul is addressing the people of the church. He's saying, you once lived this way. Do not continue to live like that. Do not forget about what Christ has done for you. He says, inside the church, all, this must have been something that was happening in the church because he wrote it down. There was coarse joking. There were people talking about obscene stories. And that's, there's no place for that as the people of God. Paul shares, there's no place for this in the life of a believer for this type of behavior and speech. Not even a hint, but in its place there should be thanksgiving. And this makes me nervous when I look at this. And Paul says, not even a hint of this. And if we were to be extremely honest, we would find ourselves here. 
we would look at this and be like, I'm a little bit here. I got some of this. I'm struggling with that. There's a little bit of that. And Paul says, not even a hint. He draws a, a line in the sand and says, guys, we have to be totally different. And in its place, there needs to be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the basic attitude of the Christian. Thanksgiving is not about entitlement, but gratitude. Living a life of thanksgiving is putting yourself, posturing yourself before the Lord, knowing that you cannot do this on your own, that you need him, and you're thankful that he has not left you, and that he is working with you and for you. Paul is reminding the believers that we should be thankful for what God has done for us, and we respond to living and speaking in such a way that brings him glory. Our words need to be filled with glory and honor to Jesus. Living the regenerated life and the pursuit of holiness. And I look at this and I'm scared. Not even a hint. Church, could we be in trouble? Paul is saying that any who have a hint of this going on in their life has, any, has no inheritance to the kingdom of Christ or God. Paul continues and says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words because God's wrath will come upon those who are disobedient. Paul goes on to say, even, he even says, don't have anything to do with them. He says, people that you know that are continually sinning and taking away from the glory of God, do not join in on that. Do not join in on that. Paul is clearly drawing a line in the sand when it comes to the behavior and the actions of God's people. And this is a hard teaching. This would be easy for us just to gloss over and go to the next section, but that's not what God wants for us. We believe in revival. We believe that God is going to bring a mighty revival into this city. Pastor Rick has been sharing with us, and he has been praying for this. And we are under his leadership, and we are watching that. We are submitting our lives to him and see, as in God, and we are looking, after, looking at what God would want for his people here. And we believe that, that God really wants people who are called by his name, that reflect his glory, that live and act like redeemed people. So the solution to this, when we look at this, we get very nervous. And it's, the solution is not behavior modification. What six, 10, 12 steps may I put in place so that this is eliminated? But the gospel, the gospel is what is needed. Why do we think that we can do this on our own? Why do, you think, why do we think that if we put five, six, seven, ten 10 steps, go to a program, this would be eliminated from our lives? It's like me going to the doctor and I have a pain in my body and I go in and I, I get my x-ray done and he says I have a kidney stone or I have cancer and I say, thank you, doc, for that. For that. I'm going to go home and I'm going to deal with this on my own. I yell at my wife, bring me a knife. I'm going to cut this out. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know how deep it goes. But we go to the doctor and we submit ourselves to their plan and they, they diagnose it. They give a certain medication to bring it down, to shrink it. Then they go in and then they cut it out and remove it all. Many of us just put band-aids over things. I put band-aids over things. Okay, I'm, I'm doing well this week on course joking, but something else is popping up. What we really need is to submit ourselves as the people of God to the gospel. I'm running this 12-week course with some young adult men. It's called the Gospel-Centered Life. And above on the screen, you're going to see um, the gospel-centered life. I love this, this illustration. But there's one illustration that, that, that goes across. It's the first one that we show. I didn't show that one today. But it shows us that time going, there's a conversion. We, we 
Christ comes into our lives and we have a growing awareness of God's holiness on one way and a growing awareness of, our, of my flesh and sinfulness. And the cross, as you can see in this one, is growing. But the other one that we first start with, the cross is the same. We come to know the Lord God. We submit our lives to him. We ask him, God, please come into my life. I want to live for you. And then we just don't grow. The cross doesn't grow. There's no growing awareness of God's holiness. There's no growing awareness of our own sinfulness before God. We're just we're just coming and putting patterns into our lives, but nothing is actually really changing. So we submit this to our lives. This illustration literally has saved me from this. It taught me that as I move towards God, I need to have a growing awareness of him. And I, ha- I need to have a growing awareness of me and who, what I do and who I am and what I struggle with. I need to be real. I need to be honest. I need to put that before Jesus. So as I'm growing as a Christian, as I'm learning, as I'm submitting myself under biblical leadership, under, under God's word and under the Holy Spirit, I see Jesus and the cross of Christ grows. I am not the same person. And the things that I did struggle with are not that big anymore. You were once in darkness, but you're now light in the Lord. I love that. I can look back on my life, and I know many of you can look back on your life, and you can say, my life was darkness, but now I am light in Christ. We are now in Christ. The Bible says that Christ is the light of the world, John 8, 12. And now because we are in Christ, we are light as well. So it's not about I'll do these 10 steps and my behavior will change, but about believing in the truth. The imputed righteousness of Christ is now on your life, and he is now the focus. Church, we got to get Christ the focus. We got to get Jesus the focus. We got to get cross the focus. We got to preach the gospel to ourselves when we're struggling. When there is not just a hint, but a a heaping pile of this growing in our lives, we can't look at the outskirts. We can't go to pattern breakers. We got to go to Jesus. We got to go to Jesus. And when we go to the cross and we preach the gospel to ourselves, we're focusing on him. We read his word. And we love God with all of our heart and our soul and we seek after him with fullness of heart. The gospel of Christ grows in our life. The awareness of God's holiness grows in our life. The awareness of our sin grows in our life. And Jesus changes us. It is he who does it. We cannot do it. But time after time we enter into the pattern of throwing up a band-aid or throwing up a pattern or a new program of, of getting these things out, and we forget about submitting ourselves to biblical leadership, submitting ourselves to God's holy word, and listening to the Holy Spirit who loves us. Kevin DeYoung is an amazing pastor. He's doing a great job. He's a young pastor. He's in his 40s. We were away last week in Kentucky, and he said, he said Nike means victory. We sang about it today, victory in Jesus. That's when Jordan said, we're doing church today. I love that. Jordan, keep doing those things. We're doing church today. Nike, it means victory. It means the one who overcomes. Jesus is the one who overcomes for us. To receive the reward, you must be the one who overcomes 
conquers, who conquers, but you cannot conquer on your own. It is Christ who conquers. We need to know that. We need to live that. We need to preach that. Christ will conquer these things in our lives. Because Jesus did, we can. Because Jesus did, we can. Because Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died, we can live righteous and holy. We can live holy lives. If this is where you're at, and we, he says not even a hint, but if there's heaps or even a few hints of these things that is going on in your life, there's hope in Christ. This should not be a message like, oh, pastor, don't say those things to me. I don't want to hear that today. We're bringing these things to light because there's victory in Jesus. There's hope for us. There's hope in Christ. We don't have to live like this anymore. So many times I deal with young adults who just go through the patterns and like, I can't take it anymore. God must not love me. He must not hear my prayer. He must not care about me. He does. And we, as God's people, need to cheer that on. He cares for us. We need to submit our lives to him. If you're struggling, let's go to the cross together. Grab a brother and sister and take them there. We can live as children of the light. Paul says, it is the light that makes everything visible. This is the goodness of Christ. This is the hope. Many of us, we run away, and we're, we're terrified when we bring these things up. We're terrified when we talk about sex, pornography, greed, sexual immorality, impurity. We're terrified when someone calls us out in the course joking. And the obscenities. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to bring that to light. We don't want to talk to the pastor about these things. But there's this burning sensation in our hearts. There's, an, there's a, an area of us that says this is not right, and it's not right for God's people. And if we want God's revival to come on the people of Calvary Baptist Church and revival to break, up, break out in this city, we got to get serious about this stuff. we got to bring this to Jesus. we got to bring it to the light. This is the goodness. This is the hope. We can bring it to Jesus. We can bring our sin to Jesus. We can bring people to Jesus. And it's a progress. But too many of us want a quick fix. Pray this prayer for me, Pastor. I'll just read this little bit of the scripture this week. And God, you're not working hard enough. God, you're not working fast enough. But this is a posture before the Lord that I am submitting my life to you, God. You said that you would never leave me or forsake me, and I'm coming after you. You are the author and perfecter of my faith, and I want to grow with you. So God, I'm taking that step. I'm being bold. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. The end of this passage, Paul says, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Thomas Locke, our bass player this morning, shared with me that his nana last week she went into glory, but his nana last week was unresponsive to people talking to her. He bent down to her, her ear and said with a loud voice, Nana, do you know where you're going? There was no response. He bends down and says, Nana, you're going to see Jesus. Thomas recalls Nana pretty much jumps out of bed and shares with Thomas and the family that soon she will, be, she will see Jesus and his glory. 
and she will worship Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. We need to wake up and rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. We need to wake up and talk about the sins that are easily entangling us. We need to throw them off and put on the righteousness of Christ. Put him first. Put the biblical word first. Submit to it and grow in his likeness. Paul loved his church. He told them the truth. We love you. We are telling you the truth. There is hope. We need to be seeking God with fullness of heart and soul. We are no longer in the darkness for the light of Christ has dawned. He is risen and he is alive. And he says, come. So if you're in this vicious cycle, if you see yourself in this, there is hope for you. Do not walk out of here feeling downtrodden. There is hope in Christ. The more that we submit ourselves to him, the more that we come and be, have honest conversations with God. God, I am struggling with this. God, I need you to take it out of my life. And that's the posture of our heart. We're coming to church. We're pressing in. Not just once a month. We're coming every week. We're asking God. We're praying daily. We're coming together with other believers. We're saying, God, we want to lift up the Christ banner over our lives, over our households, over our children, and over our nations. Soon this will not be the focus. His name and his glory will be our focus. And before you know it, this stuff has fallen off us. Sexual immorality, impurity, coarse joking, obscenity. And then we stand before God and there's not even a hint because of his righteousness. It's time to be the church. It's time to present ourselves before the throne and let God do the work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your, for your love and your grace. And thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For without it, we would be lost. Without it, we would not be able to do anything. We would be still in darkness. But because of that truth, you call us light. God, help us to be light to each other. Help us to bring light to those who are in darkness in our community. Help us to love others be known for love, the love of Jesus. God, I pray for revival in our city. I pray for revival in our church. I pray that we would not walk out of here without submitting ourselves to you. Many of us know you, God. We love you. But many of us still have not got up and made our way towards the throne of Christ and submitted ourselves fully and we wonder why we're still struggling with these things. And you give us a clear teaching this morning through Paul that there shouldn't even be a hint in God's people. God, we're praying for that. We have hope. We have truth. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have the word of God. We have the, the Holy Spirit. And we have biblical leadership that is in this church. And we're going to come after you. We're going to be a church marked for going after Jesus in his namesake and for his glory and nothing else. So God, I pray that you would search our hearts oh, here this morning and allow us to submit ourselves. Do not let us leave, God. It's for your namesake and for your glory and you care too much about us to leave us where we're at. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Beloved, at the back of this Bible is the book of Revelation. 
And in that book, a letter was sent to the church of Ephesus. And I hope you know, and if you didn't, I'm going to share with you now. When Jesus wrote that letter, the most believers were found in the church of Ephesus out of all of the seven letters because they spoke the truth, they challenged the people, and they lived for the glory of God. I pray Jesus would say that about Calvary Baptist Church, that we would be a people that are submitting to the word of God, to the Holy Spirit, the biblical leadership, and that we would be found faithful in trusting his promises. Please do not leave today if you need prayer. Your pastors will be here. Have a blessed day.